Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners. We're halfway through the week already. I have my premium black tea blend, for which I have no idea what it's comprised of other than a hefty serving of yum. And I'm here today to battle your boredom demons. Let me be your front line. I have two listener stories for you today by Augie Peterson. Our first story is, her name is Luna. A man falls in love with his new pet, but not is all as it seems. And our second story is incurable. Jenny has an incurable disease and has accepted her fate. What happens when a miracle cure comes along? I love it when my listeners include their own taglines to their stories. Just brilliant. And this particular listener has their own website that I'll include in the show notes. And you can find her at Augie Peterson, that's A-U-G-I-E, Peterson, WordPress in Google. Now, grab your hot beverage and hold it tight. Turn up the sound. Turn off that light. And get ready for something different. Her name is Luna. The squad car headed out of town. We had just passed by the pet store when I saw a torn off piece of one of my flies stuck to a telephone pole. The bottom part, preserved under some packing tape, read, Her name is Luna. The rest had been ripped off, probably by the owner of the pet store. We never did get along. When I saw it, my heart leaped into my throat, and all of the memories flooded back. My eyes filled with tears as I recalled the memory of our last night together. Her small brown eyes peered over the edge of the table, waiting for me to throw her some scraps. She would whine and sniff in my direction. Of course, I took pity and threw her a piece of my steak. She wriggled happily, gnawing on the steak as if she might never eat again. Later that night, we cuddled together on the couch. I stroked her soft short hair, and her small frame curled up next to me as I watched the evening news. It was peaceful. She was starting to get used to me after being so hesitant. Until now, I should have known better. My life had no purpose until Luna arrived. I'd had pets before, but none seemed to understand me the way Luna did. The night I brought her home, it had been pouring down rain. She was shivering, sheltered under a bus stop, alone and filthy. When I approached, she seemed hesitant. I took my time introducing myself, extending a friendly hand and assuring her she was safe with me. I shielded her under my coat from the rain as I opened the passenger door of my truck and helped her jump inside. Once we were in the safety of my car, I told her she could stay at my house until we could get in touch with her owners. There was no collar around her neck, but she seemed domesticated enough to have had a family. Luna was shy, 
She often hid from me around the house and cowered when I tried to pet her. I decided not to look for her family, even though I had promised to do so. She was so beautiful, I couldn't let her go. Unfortunately, when she found out, she was furious. She tried to escape multiple times, I simply had no choice. The chains were necessary. It broke my heart to bruise her pale complexion, repeatedly. I had no choice. She didn't understand yet that this was where she belonged. I purchased several collars to try out from the pet store. The best fit was a studded leather collar with a large buckle that could be hooked up to the chains I had on my walls. Luna was less than pleased to find out she would have to be tied up indoors, but she quickly learned that it was what was best for her. Eventually, she stopped pulling on her lead and sat still until I was ready to move to another room. I made sure to keep her healthy and fed her dog food twice a day, always leaving out a bowl of water in case she was thirsty. I let her outside to do her business and play with me as well. She was thankful to be free of her chains, even for a few moments. We played with a frisbee and chased each other around my fenced-in backyard. Then came the fateful night she escaped. We were sitting on the couch, calm and peaceful, since she was now allowing me to pet her. I didn't have her tethered to the chain in the living room. Occasionally, she cooed in comfort, nestling her head into my lap. The last two months had finally come to a point, and I could tell she was starting to feel loved. That night, I decided to go to bed early. It was a chilly night, and the sun was setting early, so I decided to let Luna out one more time before going to bed. I made the mistake of trusting her to handle herself in the backyard. As I held the sliding glass door open, shielding myself with a blanket from the cold, she did her business in the yard. Rather than clean it up as she was instructed to do, she ran off through a hole that had been dug under the fence. She ran down the street, naked like she always was, screaming for help and pounding on neighbors' doors. I got into my truck and drove around the entire city before giving up my search. I cried the entire way home. An ugly, pathetic cry that showed just how much I cared for her. I wish she had been there to see it. Then, she might not have left. Throughout the rest of that night, I made my flyers on a program on my computer. The only picture I had of her was one taken off guard. She was on all fours, as she was always required to be. Her gentle curves and pale skin flew off the paper, as if she were an angel. Her short, spiky blonde hair fell over one eye. The other was a dark brown, and was staring straight into the camera. Her thin lips were pursed in a defiant expression that matched the downward arc her eyebrows carried. The flyer read, Lost Pet, at the top, with my phone number and address underneath. On the bottom I wrote, Her name is Luna. In big, blocky letters, so whoever found her could call her by the right name. The next morning, I hung my flies all over town. There were hundreds. I went through seven rolls of packing tape. 
I didn't hear anything for a few days. No one came by, and I had begun to lose hope. I'd even scouted the area, looking for another lost pet to pick up, but none were to be found. One day, about a week after, one day, about a week after I had posted my flyers, I heard a loud pounding on my door. I jumped off from the couch and ran over, excited to see if someone had found my Luna. It was an officer. Three, actually. I feared the worst as soon as I saw them, and my eyes welled up. Oh my god. I said, Are you Reginald Bolton? The officer asked. She's dead, isn't she? I replied, tears falling down my cheeks. I'm sorry? The officer said, his face twisted in confusion. My Luna, she's dead. That's why you're here, right? So I can identify the body? No, Mr. Bolton. The officer replied. We're here because we have a victim that claims you kidnapped her and held her against her will. Furthermore, we have these flyers with your address and phone number on them. Along with these, we have several witness accounts to corroborate her story. Oh God, she's alive? Thank God! Where is she? Can I see her? I breathed in relief. The officers looked at his friends then back at me and shook his head. He grabbed my shoulders and turned me around swiftly. He placed handcuffs around my wrists and led me out toward his car. Are the cuffs necessary? I'm just going to visit Luna. Without a word, the officer sat me down in the back seat of the car and shut the door. They drove off, headed towards the edge of town. I couldn't keep the smile from my face. I was going to see my Luna again. Incurable. Please note, this story covers concepts of euthanasia, self-harm, and the concept of what suicide is regarding the terminally ill and address the serious concepts regarding suicide. I do not recommend this story for anyone who has depression or has dealt closely with suicide. The Australian suicide hotline is Lifeline Australia, 13 11 14, and the US suicide hotline is National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1 800 273 8255. Please never hesitate to seek help if you need it. Thank you. Today is not a good day. I sometimes have those, but they're becoming more infrequent as the months pass. Sometimes, they're all I have left to hope for. Then again, hope is for losers, so I was just twiddling my thumbs in this hospital bed, waiting to croak. I just wish they could turn the sound down on the machines I'm hooked up to. The last thing I need is to be reminded my body wants to keep going. I shouldn't think like that though. My mother often worries when she sees me looking off into the distance in deep thought. It's almost always about how I'll die. She reminds me that thinking about my end will only make it come faster. At this point, that might not be so bad. 
I've been past the point of living each day to the fullest for the last year. I've been here for three years, battling an illness with no name. All they know is that it's chronic. My muscles are always sore, whether I move them or not. My hair is falling out, and I can't gain weight, no matter how hard I try. My face is sometimes swollen beyond recognition, and goes into fits of pins and needles or numbness. Amid that, there are random aches and pains that make my life miserable. Since my diagnosis, it's been a long process for me to accept the fact that this illness has no cure. Now that I have, I spend a lot of time thinking of ways for it to happen. Maybe I'll have a seizure. Could be that this thing will suddenly crush my lungs or drown me the next time I drink some water. The only thing I've never contemplated is ways to do it myself. Nature is way more creative, and I love surprises. My family has already had someone write up a will, signed the DNR and paid for my funeral. It's all just a waiting game from now on. It's now that wonderful time of day where the nurse who changes my colostomy bag comes in and tries to make small talk. I can hear her shrill laughter down the hallway approaching and my stomach turns. She speed walks into the room, bending her arms at the elbows and swaying them as she approaches my bed. She shoots me a toothy smile that wrinkles her eyes and asks me how I'm doing. Fine, I guess, I reply curtly. Well, isn't that great news? She exclaims. Somehow, she seems even more cheerful than normal. My mother jolts awake at the pitch of the nurse's voice. Sitting in the recliner to my right, her graying hair and bloodshot eyes make her look like more of a patient than I do. Good morning, she mumbles, smoothing out her hair and pulling on her shirt to release three-day-old wrinkles. Good morning, Mrs. Frank. I hope you slept well, the nurse says, smiling face intact. Now, Jenny... The nurse begins, reaching for the bag under my shirt. I've heard some really exciting news buzzing around the hospital lately. You don't say, I reply, wincing as she removes the giant adhesive bandage from my side. It seems there's a new treatment trial to alleviate some of the symptoms you have. Dr. Grayman says you're a perfect candidate. My mother and I look at each other, her with a giant smile and me with a look of terror. Hearing the words, treatment trial was basically her bat signal. She started crying and without saying anything pleaded with me to consider it. What does this trial entail? I asked. I've been through chemo and radiation therapy with only minimal results. I wasn't about to do either of those again. It's a surgery. They place a chip in your brain so it hardwires it back to the way it was when it was healthy. It helps the rest of your body function properly, and gives it time to heal in the process. She was practically jumping out of her skin. Granted, this was expected after being in this stupid hospital for so long. It wouldn't surprise me if she was this chipper because she had money on finding a cure. That sounds too good to be true. I mused. Well, what do you have to lose? My mother interjected. You're so ready to die. What if this seals the deal? It can't hurt to try, right? I knew she was being manipulative, but she had a point. I only slightly nodded and sent the nurse into a frenzy of jumping and clapping. 
forsaking the task at hand. All right, Jenny. I'll need you to count backwards from ten for me. A tall male nurse was hovering over me, my face covered with a mask. They'd shaved my head and prepped me for surgery. The room smelled sterile and metallic. It was the culmination of weeks of testing to make sure I was a good fit for the chip. It really helped that I kept answering every question with, I'm ready to die, so why not? The room blurred out, and as I reached number four, my eyes closed on their own sending me into a deep sleep. The next thing I remember was waking up in a hospital bed. About five people were crowded around me. Dr. Greyman, my mum and dad, younger sister, and the chipper nurse. They were all leaning in and staring at me expectantly. I noticed, to the left, a group of people in lab coats, furiously scribbling things down onto clipboards. I tried to speak, but... As I opened my mouth, Dr. Greyman reached towards me and motioned for me to stop. His voice was muffled. I must have looked confused, because he smiled and patted my shoulder. I couldn't feel the top of my head, and the wires I had attached to me made moving very difficult. I'd even tried to reach for a glass of water at one point, and nearly pulled out one of the three IVs. As the day progressed, my hearing got better but it was still strange to see lips moving with no sound. I also noticed that as the day went on, the constant pain I felt in my lower back and aches in my muscles were gone. This made me... nervous. I didn't think this was going to work. Hell, I didn't think I would wake up at all. A whiteboard and marker appeared to my left in the hands of the male nurse from before. On it was written, How do you feel? in black marker. I wrote, fine, can't really hear, muscles aren't sore. When my mother read it, she burst into tears and clutched onto my father for dear life. I guess that was a good thing? Uh-oh. Dr. Greyman wrote something down for a while and handed it back to me. It said, hearing loss is normal and should be temporary. The fact that your muscles aren't sore is a great thing. It means the chip is working. I wanted to cry. Not because I was happy, but because I didn't want the chip to be working. I didn't want this stupid surgery in the first place. I thought brain surgery would kill me. How badass would it be to be a corpse with a hole in my head and brains spilling out? Without my say-so, a tear slipped down my cheek. The fact that I could feel it without pins and needles was only more upsetting. My parents both reached for my hand when they saw me crying and squeezed it tightly. I'd never seen them so relieved. It's been three weeks, and already I feel like my old self. I can walk without pain, and my face isn't swollen and painful. I've gained ten pounds and have a thin layer of fuzz on my head. I hate it. I'm trying my best to stay positive for my parents and the doctors that are so invested in my progress, but apparently the chip isn't strong enough to change my thought patterns. I'm still ready to die and don't have the hope I did before that and still believe that this will soon be over. If anything, it makes me more depressed than I was that I might survive this 
I might be the girl they named this disease after. I might be the sole survivor of this chip thing. It's almost too much pressure. I might look happy and feel better, but I'm falling apart at the seams. Right now, I'm lying in my hospital bed, a zombie, staring out of the window. I'm alone, save the beeping of that damn monitor, and the dark thoughts start creeping in yet again. But I hang on. They're the only things left that feels like me. You know they've already paid for your funeral. You're ready to be gone. Why not take care of it now? The doctors got what they wanted. They know the chip works. Let them try it on someone else once you're gone. It's like a subtle whisper through my mind, wrapping me in warmth and comfort. I consider it for the first time, ending it myself. This illness won't take you now. You'll have to do it on your own. A nurse entering the room with a tray of food breaks my train of thought. But before the voice disappears, I've already made up my mind. I'm alone yet again. My mother at work and the nurses on their lunch break. It's been a few days since I've made up my mind, and I know how I'm going to do it. It'll be quick and painless, or so I hope. I saw this on a TV show once and it didn't look too bad. I grabbed an empty syringe from a nurse cart when I went for my walk earlier today. It was now clutched in my clammy yet steady hand. I took some deep breaths. I'm not going to lie, I was scared. But more anxious to get it over with than anything else. The syringe was thick, with an end that screwed onto an IV port. I pulled the plunger all the way back and screwed the top to the piss yellow IV port in my left forearm. I took one last deep breath and quickly pushed air into the IV tube. I watched it go through the tube and into my arm. Almost immediately, I seized, and I felt like my lungs had exploded. My body was jerking around and the monitors were going nuts. A frantic new intern ran into my room and screamed before she smacked the code blue button above my bed. The lights faded as I was surrounded by people just standing there. The nurse didn't know I was DNR, but hit the button anyway. As the seizures calmed down, I took my last, gasping breath and serenely closed my eyes for the last time, a smile parting my thin lips for the first time in years. Wow, both these stories are brilliantly morbid. The second one, goodness. Definitely not a story I'm going to forget. It feels like such a real reaction as well, where people who have experienced significant trauma, in this case, a terminal death sentence, those illnesses come to shape them into who they are. Jenny is one strong soul, and even though she welcomed death in the end, it takes a lot out of a person to accept that outcome. This story also explores the idea where technology is advancing to a point of curing physical elements, but the war on curing or healing the mind has yet to begin. I really enjoyed both stories, and the second one really had me thinking afterwards, thinking about Jenny and what I would do in her shoes. Thank you, Augie, for such creepy and thought-provoking stories. Stick with me tomorrow and this week, 
where you'll have more stories from Augie and some more fantastic twisted tales by Tom Keithley. Goodness, bring on those listener stories, folks. I love them. Have a creepy crawly day and a devilish night. And as always, till next time.